This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Your praise shall continually be upon my lips. That's a figurative way of saying, I want to live my days recognizing the grace of God in my life. Acknowledging His goodness in every situation. Finding ways to see through my difficulty and trial to what God is doing. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. My circumstances are merely an opportunity to see what God wants to accomplish in my life. When you become a child of God, you're given a new way to live, a better way to live. God wants to set you free from the burdens and worries of this world by giving you an eternal inheritance that can never be stolen from you. He wants to change your circumstances from being an obstacle to deal with on your own to an opportunity for Him to work in your life. In today's message, Pastor Josh will show you that God wants to set you free from a life of longing and give you a life of thanksgiving. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 as he continues his message, Continue in a Better Way. chapter 13. We continue in a three-part study in Hebrews 13 called Continue in the Better Way. And I find it very interesting that Paul, at the end of his letter, says, I have written to you in few words. And I'm thinking, wow, that's just like a pastor. So my message today will be few words by such standards. But we've been seeing this reality that Paul has taught us deep theology about how Jesus is better in every single way comparatively to the old covenant and the old system of religious worship. And so he ends by saying, but all that knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's fulfilled prophetically and the better way that he's made should lead us to live lives practically that look like we're following the better way. And we saw by way of review that Paul told us to continue in several things, that we continue in the better way by living a life of empathy towards others, namely that we let our brotherly love increase. We were reminded of the words of Jesus who said, they shall know you are my disciples, not by the power that's in your life, although there is power, not by the truth that's in your life, though there is truth, but by the love that you display one to another, which is why Jesus told us that as I have loved you, so you love one another, calling us out of a life lived for self into a life of self-sacrifice. We are to show a hospitality to strangers, not only because a stranger might need the love of Jesus, and that's enough, but that stranger might actually be a divine visitation from an angelic being. We're called to empathize and put ourselves in the position of those who are persecuted, imprisoned for their faith, as though we're chained next to them. We are to continue in the better way by honoring our marriage covenant and keeping ourselves sexually pure within the marriage bed or the marriage relationship. And we've talked in depth about that. There's no reason to harp on it any further other than the reality that people are so broken in the realm of sexuality simply because either they don't know they're ignorant of God's better way or they have rebelled against God's better way. 
We learn that we are to continue in the better way by continuing living a life of contentment. That is, not striving and wearing ourselves out to obtain more and more and more in this world, never to be satisfied, but to realize that God's presence and God's protection and God's provision is sufficient for us. And to be content with such things as we have, knowing that his promise to us is that he will never leave us or forsake us. And then, of course, we're to continue in the truth by avoiding any false doctrines that seek to uproot us from the grace of God into the peripheral issues that are unprofitable to your faith or that don't cause you to become more like Christ. And there's a lot of false doctrine out there. We're actually going to be talking about it quite a bit in the weeks to come. And so we'll leave that for then. We continue by finishing up the final ways that Paul tells us to continue in this better way of Christ. So if you're taking notes, jot it down. Number one, verses 10 through 14 tell us that we are to continue in the better way by continuing outside the camp. Outside the camp. You might be thinking, what on earth is that? Are we going camping? In a sense, you already are camping. You understand that, right? Paul said, your body is like a tent that you're going to put off. Have you guys seen those glampings? You know what glamping is, right? Where you go camping, but you like have a tent that's like a house. So it's really kind of like not camping. It's got all the luxuries you could ever want. You're like, why did you go to camping anyway? That's what a lot of people do living life on earth. They're setting up their glamping tents when in reality, this is only a temporary place. We're just passing through. And, And Paul goes into depth here about the realities that we are to continue outside the camp. Look at verse 10 again and 12. For we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priests for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Now, for the Jewish audience listening, you you recognize that when they heard these catchphrases, images would have popped in their mind immediately of the altar, of the temple, of the Day of Atonement, of the sacrifices being offered and burned at the altar. This is what they're being tempted to be drawn back into, going away from Christ. And he brings up two images. The first image is of the altar and the priestly duties and rites of the altar. Under the Old Covenant... The altar represented the place where heaven and earth intersected. God's realm was heaven. People's realm was earth and the city. And in the tabernacle or the temple and the altar is where heaven and earth overlapped, where intercession could be made between God and between man. And under that old covenant, the priests specifically were privy to certain rites and certain access to things that the other people were not. For instance, the table of showbread, the bread that was placed before the Lord, some of that bread would go for the priests to eat or to consume. And so Paul is coming off of this conversation about dietary laws and food that has no profit and the argumentation where the priests had this privilege of eating the food from the altar under the old covenant. But now, Paul says, but now there is a better altar which all those who come to Christ, who become priests unto God through faith in Jesus Christ, they can all come and consume from the heavenly altar. They can all partake of God's grace and God's sustenance and eternal life and citizenship in a heavenly country. 
And here he draws this incredible picture. And we're reminded in 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter told us, you are a chosen generation, a what? A royal priesthood. You and I have become priests, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the picture here is he says, you are arguing about foods consumed and the priests have the right to consume certain foods offered to God. But now we have a better altar which we can eat from. An altar that is not contaminated, so to speak, with the sins of men. It's that altar where Jesus has, in a sense, become our altar. He's become our better way. He's become the better sacrifice. Notice he says there that regarding the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest... They are burned outside the camp, and Jesus, that he might sanctify people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And here's a picture that draws us back to Leviticus chapter 16, where God lays out the sacrificial system for the Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, the one day a year, where the sacrifices would be altered, the priest would offer a sacrifice for himself, then he would offer a sacrifice for the people. But Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27, gives us an instruction There we read, the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, their offal. In other words, the sacrifice on the day of atonement was not to be eaten or consumed by anybody. It was to be taken outside the camp, burned until nothing was left. Now, this is an interesting correlation, prophetically speaking, about Jesus, because he draws the connection. Jesus also suffered outside the camp, or what that means is outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the realm of the temple, outside the altar. And Jesus was taken outside the camp where the unclean were. And on that cross, the Bible gives us the picture that Jesus allowed himself to be utterly and completely consumed so that his blood might be brought into the holy place and sprinkled over our lives to offer an eternal remission of sin. Not to be sacrificed year after year after year as insufficient sacrifices, but the one sacrifice whose blood would sprinkle us and make our conscience clean and our sin forgiven before God. Jesus suffered outside the camp Bearing, the Bible says, reproach, shame, uncleanness, and sin outside the camp. But then, look at verse 13, because he says this is not just a nice thing to know. Verse 13 tells us, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Here he draws the very practical application that as Christians, we have two choices of where to live our life on earth. We live either inside the camp, and I'll share with you what I believe that means, or we choose to live with Christ outside the camp. And the exhortation here is go forth to Christ outside the camp. And in two ways, I believe, number one, this means that we are to no longer live within the confines of an old human religious system or laws and rules and regulations or moral performance to try to impress God. We are called now to 
the heavenly city, God's grace, God's unmerited favor, Christ's perfect sacrifice, no longer confining ourselves inside the camp of religion, but now being free to pursue Christ in a relationship. But also, I believe that this is written for us to not settle, to live our lives rooted in the passing, fleeting pleasures of a world that is on its way to destruction. Think about it like this. The people who were reading Paul's letter, the Hebrew audience, they were in this combat between going back to the system of Judaism and the old covenant system of sacrifices and temple worship or being freed from that to walk with Christ in his grace and his all-sufficient sacrifice. But not many years after this was written, some of those very eyes that was reading this would have seen the Roman Empire invade Jerusalem. And what would they do? They would destroy everything. And they would come to that temple and they would defile it with their idols. And they would tear it down, as Jesus said, what stone upon stone, not one stone would be left upon another. And as you're thinking about this, Paul did not know specifically this was going to happen, and yet he writes, go outside the camp, because here we don't have a continuing city. And what do you do if all your hope is rooted in the sacrifices and the altars and the temple and the city, and then all of a sudden, one day comes and it's all gone? Everything's in ruins. Everything's in shambles. Everything's crumbled. Everything you hoped in. Where are you going to make sacrifices? There's no place anymore. Where are you going to follow your old covenant system of worship? There's no place anymore. Where are you going to find safety? There's no place anymore. And so Paul's exhortation to this audience to pursue Christ and his reproach outside the camp of the system of temple worship, outside the camp of the security of Jerusalem. Why? Because here we don't have a continuing city. And I think you guys can follow where this leads for us. What are you looking for in this world? What are you going to do if all of your hopes and all of your dreams and your peace with God and your relationship with God is rooted in things that are going to crumble and disappear? That can be here one day and gone the next. This is why he says, go outside the city. Go outside the camp. Go to that heavenly country where rust and moth do not decay. Build up and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no thieves can break in and come and steal, go to the better place outside the camp. And notice, part of the outcome of that is that you bear reproach. He says, let us come to Christ outside the camp, and don't miss it, bearing his reproach. In other words, if you make a choice in this life to pursue God, to follow Christ, to not be rooted and, and hindered and anchored by things in this world, and you're standing and walking in his grace and his truth, at some point you will bear his reproach. The word reproach means to be despised, to be rejected by people. And I would put it like this, that a momentary reproach for Christ is a small price to pay for the sake of an eternal reward. So he's calling us to live outside the city to go forth to Christ, to follow him in his better way. Secondly, notice he says that we are to continue sacrificially. Verses 15 and 16 tell us, Therefore, by him, that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. 
That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You see that word twice in there, sacrifice? Are you grateful that when it comes to your sin and your standing before God, there is no sacrifice that God requires you to make for your own sin? Is anyone grateful for that? Right? You are declared innocent by the sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus alone. And yet, Paul uses the Old Testament language in regards to our life. He says there are still sacrifices you can make to God that please him, that bless his heart. They're in response to his sacrifice, not in place of his sacrifice. And notice the sacrifices were called. Romans chapter 12 obviously tells us that we're to offer our entire bodies as a living sacrifice to God which is our reasonable act of worship. But notice the two that he mentions here in Hebrews 13. Number one, he says that we are to offer this continual sacrifice of praise. That is our lips giving thanks to his name. It is right and appropriate for us to offer vocal praise and thanks to God for all that he has done. Are you thankful? Don't answer If we're all honest, we've woke up and and we've processed through days and the attitude of gratitude was not the first natural thing on our hearts and our minds. Trials tend to seek to steal our joy. Entitlement seeks to cause us to think that we deserve more than we have. And yet, we're told here to always carry the attitude and the vocalization of our thanksgiving to God through praise. Here's a statement I think we should all remember. He who pauses to think will find reasons to thank. He who pauses to think will find reasons to thank. And I love this story. Matthew Henry, the famous evangelist who went from town to town riding on his horse from town to town all across the United States. On one of his journeys, he was robbed. And he wrote this in his journal. I thank thee first because I was never robbed before. Talk about a perspective change on a very difficult situation. And we are called to look at life through a lens of gratitude because no matter what we do or don't have in this life, what we do have in Christ can never be taken away from us. There's always something to be grateful for. In Psalm chapter 116, David asks himself a question and then he gives himself the answer. In verse 12, he asks, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? In other words, how do I say thank you to God for all the good things he's done in my life, for as many blessings, undeserved blessings, for his salvation, for his forgiveness of sin, for the things I see and don't see? How do I render? And then he answers this question in verse 17. He says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, David recognized that something that God values is when we go public with our praise, when we verbalize and vocalize our gratitude. Notice the way we do it. It says the fruit of our lips. That's a a reference from the book of Hosea that talks about the calves of our lips or the sacrifices of our lips being offered to God. But here's the thing about the lips. More importantly, the thing about the thing that's behind the lips. 
It's been said that the tongue is the only member of your body created with its own cage for a reason. Why? Because in the tongue, there's power in what we proclaim. In fact, the Bible says it has the power of life and death, of blessing and of cursing, and that those two things should never extend out of the same well at the same time. The Bible talks very powerfully about the tongue being a little rudder that turns a big ship, a little fire that burns a big forest. The tongue can do powerful things. And here we learn that God created our voice to give glory and honor to him and to praise his name and give him thanks. And what is the antithesis of praise? Using our lips to complain, to argue, to slander, to curse, to defame. Here we find two characteristics of praise. Notice, It's to be number one, it's to be continual. He says, continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Now, that doesn't mean like every waking moment you wake up and you just, okay, you start singing and then you just sing all day until you go to bed. That's not what he's talking about. What did David say? Your praise shall continually be upon my lips. That's a figurative way of saying, I want to live my days recognizing the grace of God in my life acknowledging his goodness in every situation, finding ways to see through my difficulty and trial to what God is doing. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. My circumstances are merely an opportunity to see what God wants to accomplish in my life. It's to be continual. Ephesians 5 puts it like this. Paul says, we are to give thanks always and for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think of Jesus at the Last Supper. The Bible three times at the Last Supper said, and Jesus gave thanks. And I find this interesting. And it wasn't like a platitude, right? Jesus wasn't like, okay, time to eat. God, thank you for this food in my name, amen. It wasn't that. Jesus was grateful. And when you put that in context, it's very challenging. Grateful for what? The fact that he was gonna be betrayed by one of the people he committed his life to just in a few moments? The fact that he was going to go in the Garden of Gethsemane and submit his will to God and sweat drops of blood and submit himself to crucifixion and bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders by himself? Grateful for what? The cross that would bring shame and death and pain and the departure of this fellowship he had with the Father from the beginning of time? Jesus gave thanks. Why? Because Jesus knew what was ahead of the cross. He gave thanks. Maybe that he could spend that last moment with his disciples one final time. So as they went from there and they sang psalms, Jesus sang one of the final things he did with his disciples before going to the cross, sang psalms to God. He found reasons, thankful that his sacrifice would make the way for you and I to be with him forever. Thankful that he would be reunited in glory with the Father. Thankful for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. So our praise is to be continual, but number two, Hebrews tells us our praise is to be vocal. In other words, we don't get the excuse of never verbalizing our gratitude to God. I don't like to sing, God gave you a voice. If you don't have a voice, you have an excuse. But if you do have a voice, you don't have an excuse. We gotta lift our voice up, why? Because it's an expression of gratitude to God. 
Thanks for joining us for Pastor Josh's study in the book of Hebrews. Throughout this book, we learn about idol worship. This is when you place a person, people, or things in place of God. Although idol worship was prevalent during the time Hebrews was written, it's still in our world today. From TV to clothes to food to family, it's easy to put other things in place of God. We hope today's teaching has made you more aware of this and that you've been encouraged to seek God first. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Once you're there, click on the Media tab and follow the link to our YouTube page. You can also subscribe to our podcast and have the latest message from The Ascending Life as soon as it's available. Feel free to download these messages and take them with you on the go. If you're on social media, find links on our website to our social media pages. We'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Calvary Chapel. Our website again is theascendinglife.com. If you're in or near the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Church for our weekly service. Find all the information you need at our website, theascendinglife.com. Well, that's it for now. But there's so much more to learn on the next edition of The Ascending Life. So be sure to tune in again. Sin